You may be seated. Well, this morning as I begin, I have a question for us that I want us to consider, and that is this. What attack against the church can harm us? You see, this is an important thing for us to consider, not just this morning, but it's an important thing for us to consider because oftentimes we are more afraid of the things that we ought not to fear, and other times we are far too cavalier about the things that we should be alert to. Now, I assume that none of us this morning would say that death can truly harm us. After all, we are Christians, and we know that death does not have the final word for us. Paul says it best in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And so, yes, of course, we do mourn death, but we do not mourn like the rest of the world who has no hope because we know this, that All who are in Christ will rise again. And so death is not our greatest enemy. It's not something we should fear. And so some of us, maybe we think it would be slander. Does slander, does this attack from our enemies harm the church? After all, some might reason. A ruined reputation would ruin our witness. But our Lord told us, blessed are you, when others revile you and persecute you and other, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So even slander, it doesn't harm us. In fact, slander is a blessing to us, knowing this, that our standing before God does not change simply because man's opinion of us might change. For we are justified by faith. And this does not change just because one might speak evil against us. So it might seem then that we are impervious to all attacks. The Christian really can't be killed. Sure, in the flesh we die, but this death only leads to eternal life. And even criticism is to be expected. And all the more we are to rejoice in the face of slander. So yes, we, in this sense, are impervious to the assault of our enemy, for even the gates of hell will not prevail against us. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And yet there are still attacks that can come against the church that we ought to still be alert to and aware of. Our Lord, in fact, warned us of these dangers, This danger that I have in mind this morning is a danger that often threatened the early church, and it threatens us this morning all the same. This attack is far more subtle than slander, and the consequence of this danger is far more devastating than death. And so the danger that I have in mind this morning and the danger that we see in our psalm this morning is this. It is the deceitful counsel of the wicked that leads to sin. This is our third consecutive psalm this week. That is a psalm of lament. That is, it is a prayer that David is offering up to the Lord as he cries out to God for help. Back in Psalm 3, David prayed that God would deliver him from the hands of his enemies who wished to put him to death. And yet, 
David knew and we know as well that the Lord is a shield about him and a shield about us and a protector to all who find refuge in him. And last week in Psalm 4, David, David prayed that the Lord would protect his reputation that has been defamed. But David was confident that he still belonged to the Lord regardless of what anyone might say about him. And now in Psalm 5, we find David's prayer in response to the deceptive counsel of his enemies. And David doesn't make his request known all the way up until verse 8. So listen to his petition his request, and then also listen to the reason for his request. This is his petition. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. That's his request. He wants God to lead him, to to guide him. And the reason for this request is found in verse nine. For there is no truth in their mouth, that is his enemies, Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. And so we see, hopefully, that David's prayer arises out of his need for counsel from the Lord because his enemies are offering him counsel all the same, but it is not the same as the counsel that comes from God, for the counsel that they give leads to death. Now, I'm sure all of us know a thing or two about receiving bad advice. For example, when I was in college, I had a roommate who once suggested that we use dishwasher, excuse me, dish soap as an alternative to dishwasher detergent. Take it from me. It's bad advice. Don't do it. It'll just make a bigger mess. Another time I was told to pet a cat on the belly. And once again, this is bad advice. Cats are not dogs. They do not like what a dog likes. So we've all received bad advice. But bad advice is not what we have in mind here in Psalm 5, at least not merely. Bad advice isn't necessarily sinful. But the kind of poor counsel that we see here in Psalm 5 is a type that defies the will of God because it is fueled by sinful desires. So don't think the danger that I'm talking about this morning is mere bad advice. The danger that we have in mind is the danger that the wicked give us, the counsel that they give us that leads to death. So listen again to David's petition and the reason for his request. I want you to see if you can see what I see here, and that is the source of their wicked counsel. Look at verse eight again. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me, for there is no truth in their mouth their inmost self is destruction. This is the source of their counsel that is wicked. The source of wicked counsel is their inmost self, which is their sinful heart. Deceitful words that come from the wicked do not simply come because of a lack of wisdom. You see, this is what sets apart wicked counsel from bad advice. Bad advice usually comes from a lack of wisdom, while the wicked counsel comes from the depraved heart that hates God and is violently opposed to his will. Wicked counsel finds its source in one's desire to do what is evil. Look again at our text. Verse 9 
There is no truth in their mouth because their inmost self is destruction. The word inmost self here is just one word in Hebrew, and it's the same word that we see throughout the Torah that is this used to, to describe the innards of the animal sacrifices. You see it in Exodus 29, 13. And you shall take the fat that covers, here's the word, their entrails. That's the inmost self that David has in mind here. It is the heart of man that is wicked and evil. And so where does this wicked counsel come from? It comes from the sinful heart. Our Lord, he tells us the same thing in Matthew 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit bad or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so with the same thing in mind, James tells us with this tongue, this mouth, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same, from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Well, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Both Jesus and James are saying the very same thing. The thing that comes out of our mouth is a reflection of that which lies deep within us. That is the quality of our heart. And as if it wasn't clear enough already in verse nine, where he says their inmost self is destruction. Then David gives us this picture of this wicked wisdom. He says their throat is is an open grave. So understand, we have the mouth, which speaks that which is not true, the inmost self, which is destructive, and then the passageway right between the mouth and the inmost self would be the throat. And he says, this throat, it is an open grave. Now, most of us were familiar with an ancient tomb in Israel because of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when David here is comparing the, the, the wicked's throat to an open grave, what we shouldn't picture is our modern notion of an American grave that is a, a hole in the ground. But instead, we ought to picture the hole that would have been cut into the side of a rock that ought to have been sealed and closed by the stone that was rolled over it. If you can picture that scene of Jesus' resurrection in the tomb that was open, you can maybe see the, the picture that, that is being painted here by David of this open tomb, this open grave. But what's the problem with an open tomb? Well, we have a perfect picture of the problem in the scene where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Look at it in John 11. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and had a stone that laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. 
So returning back to our text again today, where it talks about the throat being an open grave. Hopefully you see the vivid language that David is using to illustrate the uncleanness that is coming from the inward parts of these wicked counselors. What comes out is unclean, unholy, makes a person unworthy to enter into the presence of God. So what should we make of the counsel of these wicked people and the source by which where it comes? Well, we should, at the very least, be careful of where we seek counsel. Yes, there is great wisdom in finding counsel from others, and yet all the same, we ought to be mindful from where that counsel comes from. You see, we have so many sources at our fingertips these days with the invention of the smartphone and the internet. I mean, we can Google nearly any question we have. If you have a question, if you need counsel, you can be sure to find it in mere seconds. And yet with all this information, we ought to be careful who we are listening to. I mean, we do know after all, this is a basic elementary lesson that not everything on the internet is true. And neither is anything true just because it comes from the mouth of men, especially those who are wicked. So it's one thing to receive counsel, but it's another thing altogether to find a good and wise counselor who is able, able to give us wisdom that comes not from man, but from God. A counselor who is able to rightly divide the word of truth and give good, right, godly wisdom is one that should be listened to. But some might conclude from this, well, then, if, if it's so dangerous to receive this ungodly counsel, this wicked counsel that leads to destruction, then this gives me all the more reason not to seek counsel at all. Many of us really don't like receiving advice anyway, so don't go looking for it, we might think. But this would be a grave mistake all the same, and in fact, even more so, perhaps, because you ought not to even trust your own heart. Don't even take counsel from yourself. You see, David here, he's talking about his enemies whose hearts are like this, their, their throat, excuse me, like this open grave. But Paul, he applies the same text in Romans chapter three to describe the depravity of every single one of us. Romans 3.10, he says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together and have become worthless. No one does good not even one, and then here it is, their throat is an open grave. That is to say, every single man has this inmost part in him that is corrupt and leading to destruction. And so you might think, well, the solution to not receiving wicked counsel is to never receive counsel, and yet our own hearts are wicked. Jeremiah 17, nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, it's impossible to go on through life without receiving any kind of counsel at all because we are our most frequent counselors. We constantly make decisions for ourselves every single morning up until the time we go to sleep. And yet this heart, this heart is wicked and sick and deceitful above all things. And so if you think it best not to receive counsel at all, listen to the Proverbs. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, 
but a wise man listens to advice. So be careful who you listen to advice from, but all the same, don't listen to your own heart, your own counsel, for it will lead you astray. But perhaps the most helpful thing we can do is to test the counsel of others by the word of God. For the word of God is the only source of truth that is sure and reliable. It is the only book that is without error. For there is only one advisor whose name is Wonderful Counselor. And so even too, we see this in the book of Acts that when Paul came to the Bereans, they were called noble, not just because they received the word eagerly, but listen to it in verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than the others in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so if Paul, the apostle himself, was tested by the word of God, so to how much more then should we test all other counsel that we receive by this perfect word? And we have to do so diligently because the, the wicked's counsel is not always easy to spot. Look again at our text this morning. There is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. And here we see they also, they flatter with their tongue. Let us consider now the, the subtlety of wicked counsel and it is subtle because their words are smooth. This is the second thing I want us to see this morning. The, the form of their wicked words is flattery. Literally, that word flatter means their words are smooth. We see the same word used in Psalm 55 of this man. It says his speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. It's a good picture of what this flattery looks like. We like to be flattered. We like to be told what we want to hear. And yet this flattering, this smooth speech of such wicked counselor, it is war against you and it is like a sword to your throat. We might expect the wicked words of these counselors to come maybe more so in the form of an open rebuke, perhaps even in a harsh tone. You see, many of us aren't too keen on seeking counsel, and yet even more of us are even strongly averse to correction. But do not mistake the wise and loving rebuke of a friend for the cunning wickedness of a flattering foe. To do so would be a fool's mistake, for faithful are the wounds of a friend and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So listen, if we just surround ourselves with friends who always tell us what we want to hear and what we like to hear and we're always in quick agreement with them, perhaps it is so that we are listening to them only because our heart, once again, is deceptive and wicked and we only listen to those who agree with our deceptive hearts. Rather, we ought to seek those who will tell us the truth, no matter how hard it is to hear. 
Once again, the Proverbs are so helpful. A man who flatters his neighbor, there's that same word again, spreads a net for his feet. And so we should know that these, these words of flattery, they are subtle, but they are a snare to you and to me. We should know of all people, though, as, as Christians, the subtlety of our enemy. For it wasn't the bite of the serpent that led to the fall, was it? No, it was his smooth, flattering speech. And it wasn't even the strength of the Philistines that destroyed Samson. But once again, it was the deceptive and smooth words of Delilah that led to his fall. Even King Saul himself, his fall the one before David, his fall came from listening to the voice of the people instead of the voice of God. So we need to know how to spot these smooth and slippery words. It's often been compared to this, how to, how to spot such people as might be compared to spotting a counterfeit bill. And how do you spot a counterfeit bill? You do so by not studying Monopoly money and seeing the weight and texture and color of, of this counterfeit bill that is worthless and cheap, but rather the way you study a counterfeit or identify a counterfeit, excuse me, is by knowing the real thing. If you know how to identify the watermark on a bill when you hold it up to the light, you might better be able to spot a counterfeit bill. If you rightly know how to identify the micro-printing details on a, a real, genuine bill, you'll make a better judge of knowing fake money when it comes your way. And so it is also of, of this deceptive error that comes our way. How might we spot this error, these deceptive and smooth words that are so subtle? The best way to do so is by knowing the truth. Now, this might sound easy enough at first, after all. What does the wicked look like? We might picture him with horns and a pitchfork and a red little tail. Of course not, though. We, we know that's just a joke. These false teachers, these, these flattering tongues, these who give false wi wisdom, they, they fly private jets. They're the ones who have a massive following because they just want the approval of man. They're the ones who are associated with other false teachers who we know clearly, right? Wrong. Jesus tells us what they're like. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. Paul too expands on this. In 2 Corinthians, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. You see these these men, these women who offer wicked counsel that leads to death, they are not as easy to spot as we might think. In our mind, it's kind of like, where's Waldo? Here's this guy wearing the, the wacky striped red and white shirt with the weird glasses and hat. And you'd think by looking at the cover that it'd be easy to find him. 
but it's not until cracking the book where you go, it's actually not as easy as you might have thought at first. These deceptive enemies are crafty and subtle, and they likely even dwell among us. And so watch out. Some of us aren't as afraid of them as we ought to be. They might reside even in our pockets through our podcasts or even in our very midst this morning. And so what are we to do? How are we to stand watch against the subtlety of these enemies? Well, first, I think most obvious, do what David's doing and ask for wisdom. This is David's prayer again. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. David is praying for wisdom from God because he recognizes the subtle snare of the enemies who offer these flattering words his way. What he wants is not the counsel of the wicked, but what he wants to do is what the Psalm 1 man does. He wants to delight in the law of the Lord. He wants the Lord's way, the Lord's will to be done in his own life. And so he prays and he asks God to make his will known to him. For those who have been with us long enough to remember our time in Colossians, we see the very similar prayer from Paul himself there. Colossians 1.9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is Paul's prayer for the Colossians and it should be our prayer, like David's just as well, for ourselves that we would be led in the way of the Lord's righteousness, that we would have a straight path that we might know where we are to go. So if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if you want to spot the subtle snares of our enemy, Ask for wisdom, but not only that, receive wisdom all the same from those who are wise. Kids in the room, this is why you have parents. God has given you parents so that they might teach you and guide you in all truth. Proverbs is a, a book, it's written from a father to a son so that the son might learn wisdom so that he would not fall into the subtle snare of this deceptive enemy. Listen to Proverbs 1. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. And so kids, I know a lot of us think we're all wiser than our parents, but Know this, your parents know way more than you. And God has given you parents so that you would know what is good and right and pleasing to the Lord. And furthermore, parents, all the same, and if not more so, do not neglect your responsibility, your God-given duty to guide your children. Parents, we are not our kids' buddies, not first and foremost. We are 
their parents. And as such, we are to guide them and instruct them and discipline them in the way of the Lord, lest they fall into this subtle snare of sin. But this isn't the only way we receive wisdom from a, a parent to a child. Even those of us who have grown out and have grown up and are outside of our, our parents' home. This is why we do church and fellowship with one another. So that as iron sharpens iron, so that we might also sharpen one another. You see, we live in an age that is increasing, increasingly digital. Less and less face-to-face -face contact. You can get your groceries just from driving up and pulling up into the spot at the store. You can receive all your goods just by clicking order on Amazon and it'll be delivered to your doorstep in 24 hours. And this has even affected the way we look at church. Many, many people even think that going to church in a living room is the way to go. It's less hurtful, less painful, less people will sin against me. And certainly if I have secret sins, no one's gonna correct me. And furthermore, we can just stream our favorite preacher, but turn him off when he's too offensive too. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning because obviously everyone in here this morning is in church. But all the same, there are some of us who are gathered with us and make it a, a regular practice to come to church and all the same, you are not actually known by anyone in the church. Not well enough, at least, for a person to see your own sin and to know it and to correct you in it in love so that you might not fall prey to the subtle snare of our enemy. This is why God has given us one another. And furthermore, this is even why God has given us all pastors. Listen to Ephesians 4. He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And here's this purpose here, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so all the same, if you just attend church, but you are not a member of this church, known by a pastor, not just this church, but any God-loving, God-fearing church who has a pastor who's keeping watch after your soul, you're misunderstanding what the church does and the role of the pastor in your life and the role of members as we correct one another in love. Listen, even as a pastor here, I myself am under watch by the other pastors, the other shepherds who are keeping watch over my soul. For there is only one head of the church and it is not me nor any man, but it is Christ. So it is, we all need to have overseers that watch after us so that they might correct us and bring us back into the fold when we begin to wander away. And so with this, to the, the elders who are here this morning, and to myself as well, I offer this exhortation. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. After all, pastors are shepherds and overseers. And our enemy wishes to trap God's flock so that these wolves might devour them. 
but it's not enough for us to just simply know the source of this wicked counsel that it comes from in the heart. And it's not enough for us to even be able to spot the wicked counsel. We need to know why we must avoid the counsel of the wicked. Which leads us to the final point this morning, the sore of wicked counsel, which is separation from God. This is what makes it so dangerous. Not only that it is subtle, but that the consequences are ultimate. The consequences are far greater than any other consequence one might ever experience. The consequence of walking in the counsel of the wicked is we will be cut off from God. We see here in this very text that God, he hates all evildoers. Yes, we often talk about loving the sinner and hating the sin, and it's true, we are commanded by our Lord to love our enemies just as he has loved us when we were his enemy. But make no mistake, God does not simply hate the sin. He hates the sinner. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So God, we see here, he does not just send sin to hell. In fact, that's not what he does at all. But he sends the one who sins into the eternal lake of fire. And the reason for it is because God is holy. And our holy God will not allow sin to dwell with him. This is what we see over and over here again here. Look at again, verse four. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. And once again, the evil we're talking about here is not the evil of adultery or murder, but it is the evil of the tongue. Those who speak lies. Those who are bloodthirsty and deceitful men. Once again, it's from the mouth that we're talking about here which is the reflection of the wicked heart of man. But now bookended on both, sided, both sides of these verses, we see David, who is not like these wicked men. He is not cut off from the presence of God, but instead look at verse three. O Lord, in the morning, you hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. And so here in verse three, we see something about David that is far different from these wicked men. For one, what comes from his mouth is prayer and not deceitful words. And furthermore, he comes into the presence of God to make sacrifice as he prays and watches for the Lord to respond. And then thereafter, verses four through six, verse seven, once again, we see a very similar picture. Once again, it's David in the presence of God. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. And so what is it that separates David from the wicked? Certainly we know it's not because he's sinless. What separates him is this though. He fears God. 
and he worships God. And furthermore, he is found within the covenant of God's steadfast love. You see, David, he is quite unlike the wicked. He is set apart from them. He is holy and not like them. The wicked, yes, they're separated from God, but David is separate from the wicked so that he might have fellowship with God. So all the more we see why David prays his prayer, his one main request here in this psalm, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. David knows that his walking in the counsel of God and the ways of the Lord is the means by which he walks with God. So it is of those who are righteous. So it is for each of us here this morning. If we are not walking in the counsel of the Lord, if we are not listening to his word and obeying his word, we ought not to fool ourselves to think that we have fellowship with God. For our God, he is holy and he will not have fellowship with those who are wicked. So hopefully we understand now the seriousness of being separated from God. What made the curse of the fall so tragic was not simply the the pain of childbearing. What made the fall tragic was not the struggle of work and the thorns and thistles that came from the ground. It wasn't even death that made this tragic. Yes, these were tragic, sure, but the true sore of the fall is being cut off and separated from the presence of God there in the garden. Separation from God is tragic because without God, we have no hope of life. Without God, we are like that tree that is not planted by streams of water. Without God, we are like a body who is cut off from its head. Without God, there is no blessing. Moses knew this to be true. For when the Lord offered Moses to go into the promised land, that land of blessing, but without God's presence, Moses replied, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Speaking of the wilderness. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. It is, not your, is it not your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? Do you long for the presence of God the way Moses did? to prefer the wilderness with the presence of God as opposed to the the blessed promised land apart. Peter saw the same thing. After many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so it is, this is here at the very center of the gospel. What makes the gospel good news? 
It is that God has come to reconcile sinners to himself through Jesus Christ so that we might have fellowship and union with God again. This is why the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is why Jesus is called Emmanuel, because through him, God now dwells with us. And this is why after Jesus' death, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, because now access to God is no longer found through the blood of bulls there at the temple, but now through his once and for all final sacrifice, man and God can be united again because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Oh, that we would not fall into the subtle snares of our enemy. They are all around us. They are cunning. They are sweet. They will offer you blessedness, happiness, joy, and all the like. But it is a trap. So do not listen to the words of the wicked the counsel that would lead you to not continue to walk in the ways of the Lord. For those who might think it's too late, who look at your wickedness and your sins of your life and you think, well, there's no way I will ever have that blessing. Well, know this, Jesus died so that sinners might be reconciled to God. Once again, that, that picture of that throat, that open grave, in Romans chapter three, it describes every single one of us before we were born again. So if you think it's too late for you, do not make that mistake, but instead repent of your sins and know that Jesus died so that you might live. And our fellowship with God today, it is not owing to our own works of righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ that has been credited to us by faith. Our righteousness, it is owing to the steadfast love of God who gave his son so that all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so this morning, take refuge in him. For the deceptive counsel of the wicked, it will seem sweet for just a short while, but its sweetness will not last. But those who walk in the way of the Lord, oh, we have this wonderful word of, it's a promise. Psalm 5, 11 and 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. There's that picture once again, David, there in the tabernacle, in the temple, taking refuge in God. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. This is a picture of all who are in Christ, covered with his righteousness. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, and you cover him with favor as with a shield. Let us do that. Let us take refuge in him and rejoice and be glad. Father, we do thank you that you have given us your son so that we might have fellowship with you. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us for how 
Easily we are tempted and drawn away by the sweet and smooth words of the enemy. But Lord, all the same, would you lead us in your righteousness, make our way straight so that we might know what is your will, so that we might obey you, so that the the law itself might be written on our hearts. Give us your spirit this morning so that we might learn to be wise. And give us your spirit so that we might glorify your name in our life. We love you and praise you and ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.